You are listening to the Akron Abide Bible Study Podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Akron Abide. Philippians chapter 1, and we are continuing our series doing a verse-by-verse commentary on the book of Philippians. And our series is entitled The Church at Philippi because we're looking at the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the local church in the city of Philippi. And we've been covering this for quite a few weeks now, about four weeks we've been looking at this, and we're actually going to be wrapping up Philippians chapter 1 today. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, and we'll cover verses 27 through 30. Philippians chapter 1 and verses 27 through 30. Now, I would have to say that there are very few things that are more motivating to me than hearing a halftime locker room speech from your coach. That's probably one of the most motivating things to me. You just hear the coach trying to pep you up, get you ready for the big game, and and there's just something about that. There's something about that that kind of stirs my heart. There's just something about the the fervency in their voice, uh, the motive behind the message, and an entire team rallying behind a worthy cause that's captivating. And I love listening to speeches like that. If you were to look at my Google search history, you would see me looking at pep talks and motivational speeches from coaches given to their team. I always love to look at the pregame speech and then the postgame speech after it's all said and done. And there's just something about that. Something about a coach motivating you and trying to get you to meet your potential. And whenever I think about the great locker room speeches in past history, I can't help but think about the 1928 halftime speech given by Newt Rockney during the Army-Notre Dame game at Yankee Stadium. That's the first one that comes to mind. As you can see, I am a diehard Notre Dame fan. Uh, I love him so much, and, and that's the one that comes to mind. It's a very famous speech. You see, that season in 1928, Notre Dame was struggling. They weren't playing very good at all, and, and Rockney, their coach, was trying to salvage something from his worst season as a coach at Notre Dame. And the Fighting Irish went into the half, they were down and out, they were on their way to lose, and they were headed to having a first losing season in 40 years in Notre Dame history. And Rockney wasn't having it. He wasn't okay with that happening. Army and Navy were, or Army and Notre Dame were big rivalries, and he did not wanna lose that game. And rumor has it that as he made his way into the locker room during the half, He went into the middle of the locker room surrounding all of his players. He got a small stool and he stood up on that stool and he looked around at his entire players, just gazed at them. And finally, when he opened up his voice, the speech that he gave was some of the most passionate, zealous, and wonderful words that they've ever heard come out of this man's mouth. It's a famous speech today that's known as winning one for the Gipper. And just to give you an idea of the the speech that took place, I actually have with you or with us um, a a recording of a speech given by Newt Rockney. All right, so you can kind of see the the fervor and the passion and the desire behind his words. So we're going to look at that real quick now. But I want the ends in there fast. Every play, every play, but under control. And you men in the back below, I want you to analyze before you move. And if they throw a forward pass, they throw a pass, wait till you see the ball in the air. And then go and get it. And when they get it, boys, that's when they go on offense. That's when they go too. And don't forget we're going to pick it on one, one tackle that time this week. 
We're going inside them. We're going outside them. Inside them and outside them. And when we get them on the run once, we're going to keep them on the run. And we're not going to pass unless our secondary comes up too close. But don't forget, man, we're going to get them on the run. We're going to go, 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 go. And we aren't going to stop until we go to our goal line. Don't forget, man, today is the day we're going to win. They can't lick us, and from the black out of the goal. The first whistle of the man win there. Fight, 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 fight. What do you say, man? You see the passion behind his words. You might not be able to make out what he said there just because it's so long ago, but you see the passion. You see the fervor behind Rockney's words. And I love what he said. He said, don't forget, men, today's the day we're going to win. That's what he said. He believed it. He knew it. And long story short, the Fighting Irish team rallied behind Rockney that day. They rallied behind a worthy cause and... They went on to beat Army 12 to 6, and they finished that season with yet again another winning record. And to this day, it is known as one of the greatest halftime speeches of all time. It's a fan favorite for many of us, one of the greatest halftime speeches given by a coach. Well, as we come to our text this morning, we find one of the greatest locker room speeches of all time. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and the church at Philippi is down and out. They're struggling. They're going through difficulties. Their pastor, the man that they love, is in prison on house arrest in Rome. And they're going through some trials and some persecution on their own in Philippi. They're going through some divisions, some disunity within the church, some persecution and trials surrounding the church. And they don't know if they can go on anymore. Many people in the church are losing their jobs. They're losing members of their family. Family members are disowning them. And it's a tough situation for this group. And they aren't sure if they're going to be able to be victorious and stay faithful to the very end. But the Apostle Paul is writing to them and he's saying, hey, I'm going through the same thing that you're going through and I'm faithful. So therefore, you can stay faithful. You can be victorious to the very end. And in Philippians chapter 1 and verses 27 through 28 we find the Apostle Paul rallying his troops around a worthy cause. Paul is motivating his team to stand strong, to press on, and an application this morning to win one for the Gipper. And we're going to look at that speech now in Philippians chapter 1 and verses 27 through 28. And I want you to notice Paul's passion behind these words. All right, notice what he says there. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. Can you see the fervency and the passion behind those words from the Apostle Paul? You see, you can tell that this man named Paul, he had a heart for this church. He loved the church at Philippi so much, and, and he wanted nothing more than to watch them experience victory, to watch them defend the gospel, and to them to build a great, successful church for the glory of God. And in those verses, we find Coach Paul giving the church at Philippi a recipe for success and a playbook for victory. And that's why it's one of the greatest locker room speeches of all time, because he gives them the way to live the victorious Christian life. 
And I don't know about you, but that's what I want to live, right? I want to live the victorious life. I want to live the successful life. I want a winning season. I want a winning life. And, and the Apostle Paul gives the recipe here, and we find out it boils down to one thing. He wants them to focus on one thing, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he says there. He wants us to have a gospel-centered mindset. Look at how he begins in verse 27. He says, only or exclusively let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul is saying there, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Focus on the gospel. Think about the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, I want you to be so interested and so infatuated and so in love with the gospel that it's all you can think about. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I want you to have this good news mindset. I want you to eat, sleep, and breathe the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's kind of like a coach motivating his team and saying, hey, I want you to sleep with your playbook. I want you to understand your playbook. I want that to be all you think about. I want you to have a love and a passion for the sport that you're playing. It's kind of like that. Paul is saying, I want you to love the gospel and be passionate about the gospel. And the reason why this is, is because the key to living a life of victory is this gospel-centered mindset. Living with the gospel in mind. And that's what we're going to look at today. All right, we're going to break down this speech from the Apostle Paul. And we're going to look at three steps, three keys to a gospel-focused life. And I do want to clarify this morning, the Apostle Paul doesn't hold anything back. The Apostle Paul is very hard in, in what he says here because he's their coach. And he's presenting this game plan to their players. And he's very demanding. He's very commanding, a little bit like Newt Rockney in our speech there. But he's doing it for a reason because he knows that he has the playbook for success and it is a gospel focus. And that's what we're going to look at today. And we'll just get right into it this morning. The first thing that we need to do, if we want to live in victory, if we want to have a gospel-centered mindset, number one, we need to focus on gospel conduct. We need to focus on our behavior, the way we live, the way we act, not just our walk, but our talk. And that's what we see in verse 27. Look what he says there. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now, that word conversation is an interesting word in the Old English. It's not the way we think of conversation today in the 21st century. It's actually derived from the Latin word conversary, which means to conduct oneself. So that's the idea there, to conduct oneself. And it's not simply dealing with our speech, but our entire being. Our entire life as a whole, the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we live, every aspect of our life, who we are, what we do, why we do it, all of that is supposed to be in tune with the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, I want you to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. I want you to live the way a Christian should live. I want you to act the way a Christian should act. Because he's writing to the church at Philippi who are Christians, who are saved, who are no better, and they're having some fears. They're having some difficulties. The joy of the Lord is no longer there like it used to. They are fearful of being victorious to the end. And he's saying, hey, snap out of it. You're a Christian. Act like it. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, why is Paul direct in that way? Why is Paul commanding in that way? Well, it's because Paul wants them to live up to their potential. 
That's what a coach does, right? That's the job of a coach to get the players to, to live up and to play up to their potential and then some. Well, he wants them to live up to their potential. And you want to know what their potential is? Jesus Christ. That's our potential today as well. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've got Jesus Christ in your hearts, Jesus Christ in your life, and you can live the victorious, abundant, awesome life for the Lord. You absolutely can. That's your potential, right? The Bible says that the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that works in us today. And you want to know what that power means? It's literally the Greek word dunamis, where we get our English word dynamite from. We've got dynamite power in our life. That is the power to overcome. That is the power to live with joy. That is the power to live the victorious, abundant life for the Lord. And Paul is instructing them, hey, live like you know you're saved. Live like you know that you've got riches in Christ Jesus. Live like you know that there are 7,000 promises in the Bible with your name on it. He wants them to live in that way. You see, he's trying to get them to live up to who they are. He's trying to get them to act the way they are. He's saying, hey, you're a child of God. Act like it. It's kind of like this again with sports. I, I use that as an analogy, but you're a part of the Akron Westfield football team. Hey, you're a Westerner. Act like it. That's what he's saying. Act like your potential. Act. Live up to who you are in Jesus Christ. You're a Christian. You're a part of Team Jesus. Hey, live up to Team Jesus. Right? He wants them to live up to their potential. He wants them to act like it. But not only does he want them to live up to their potential, but he also wants them to take pride in who they are. That's kind of the, the point that he's trying to make here in verse 27. If you look up that word conversation or conduct in verse 27... In the Greek, it's actually closely related to our word for citizenship. Citizenship. So that, that verse could say, only let your citizenship be as it becometh the gospel. Only let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel. That's what he's getting at. And the idea that Paul is, is making here is he's making a play on their dual citizenship to the church of Philippi. Their dual citizenship. The, back, the fact that there are Romans, they're part of the Roman kingdom... But they're also Christians. They're part of the heavenly kingdom. And that's the same thing with us. Once again, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you're a part of the royal family of God. You're adopted into his heavenly kingdom. You have a dual citizenship. Right? We're here. We're on this earth. We've got a home here. But the Bible says in John chapter 14, we also have a home in heaven. There's a mansion with our name on it in glory. And Paul is saying, hey, live that way. Remember that. Think about that. That's an awesome thing that we can focus on. And Paul alludes to that a couple chapters later in verse 20 of Philippians chapter 3. He says, for our conversation or our citizenship is in heaven. That's an awesome thing. And Paul is saying there, hey, it's something to be proud of to be a part of the royal kingdom of God. It's something to be proud of to be adopted into the royal family of God. It's something to be proud of to be a citizen of heaven. He wants us to understand who we are, and he wants us to be unashamed of who we are in Jesus Christ. Again, I say, it's like this. I am unashamed to be a Notre Dame fan. I don't care who knows it. You think about, I talk about Notre Dame too much in my sermons? Those are fighting words, buddy. I'll meet you outside. I don't care who knows it. I'll do every sermon illustration on Notre Dame if I could. Right? That's the idea there. I'm unashamed. I don't care. I'm going to lift up this, this helmet high. Right? That's the way we're supposed to be with Jesus Christ. Hey, we're to lift up the cross high. We're to be unashamed of who we are in Christ. 
We are to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what I've discovered and what you've discovered over the years is sadly many Christians are ashamed of Christ. They don't come out and say it, but, but that's the way they act. It's almost like we apologize for being Christians. Someone asks us, you know, are you a Christian? And you're just like, well, yes. You know, but I'm not one of the weird ones. No, I'm not one of the weird ones. I'm a Christian, but, but I'm a cool one. We almost apologize for who we are. No, be unashamed, right? Yes, there's Christians that, that are, are weird and, and that give Christianity a bad name. But if we stand up for who we believe in, if we stand up for Jesus Christ, pretty soon when people think of Christians, they're going to think of the people that are standing for the gospel. We've got to be unashamed. We've got to take pride in who we are. We've got to take pride in the gospel. Paul put it this way in Romans 1.16. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Hey, we are to focus on the gospel, and we are to focus on a gospel conduct. Not being ashamed, taking pride, and living up to our potential. Living out the Christian life the way God has for us. So that's the first key. That's what Coach Paul tells us. Focus on gospel conduct. But then number two, we're also to focus on gospel consistency. Now, if you want to live a victorious life... If you want a victory in any aspect, consistency is key. You can have the most potential in the world, but if you are only meeting your potential 10% of the time, or 50% of the time even, that's not enough. No, we need to be consistent in who we are, and we all need consistency in life. We need consistency as a church. We need consistency as individuals. We need consistency as parents. We need consistency as a family, right? Consistency is key. And we are to conduct ourselves worthy of the gospel consistently and continually. And you want to know what that means? I hate to break it to you, but that doesn't just mean on Sundays. No, every single day. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that's the way we're supposed to live. And we see that when we look up that word for conduct in verse 27. You see, that word conduct in the Greek is actually written in the present tense, meaning that it's continual. We are to have this gospel mindset continually, every single day. We don't just come out and look the part on the outside and act a different way on the inside. No, every single day. He's saying, hey, put on your uniform every day. Put on the gospel. Put on the full armor of God every day. Right? Live with the gospel in mind every single day. And that's what he goes on to say in the back end of verse 27. So he says this. He says, only let your conduct be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And then he says... That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. So he goes, I don't want you to just act this way when I'm around. No, if I'm around, you act this way. If I'm not around, you act this way. He's being kind of tough, but he's saying, I don't want any hypocrites in this church. No, if you want to be a victorious Christian, hypocrites aren't going to do that. Being a hypocrite isn't the way to go. You've got to be consistent. You've got to be the same always. Because that's the way Jesus is. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi 3, 6, I am the Lord, I change not. Right? He cannot change. When we're abiding in Christ, we should not change. Right? Consistency. Having this gospel mindset continually. And Paul says there, I want you to be so consistent, in fact, that when I hear of your affairs, all I hear is how gospel-oriented you are. That's what he says. I'm going to hear whether you're doing good or not, people are going to let me know if you are living with this gospel mindset or not. And when I hear about this, I want it to be the fact that, oh, man, this church is doing so great. This church is living out the gospel so much, they're just killing it. That's what he's saying. He's being kind of tough with them, but he's doing this to bring out the best in them. 
right? I want you to live out the gospel. Consistency is key, guys. Consistency is key for victory. But again, man, sadly, we live in a world with some very inconsistent Christians. Christians that give Christianity such a bad name. They come to church. They act one way. They act holier than thou. They look down on everybody else. But then they go out and they live a completely different way outside of church. Or they come to church and they talk about the love of God, the joy of God, and forgiveness. And that's great, but they're the most unloving, ungenerous, unforgiving, grumpy Christians in the world. I've experienced that. I've witnessed that. And, and honestly, on those grounds, many people have been turned away from Christianity. Many people come to church and they say, man, I know I'm missing something, but I definitely don't want that. So they leave. And they don't come back. You want to know something today? I don't blame them. I don't blame them at all. Those are hypocrites. And Paul says, hey, for victory, you can't have that. No, we need to be unashamed. We need to be stand up for who we believe in. And we need to be consistent. But I ask this question, why are there inconsistent Christians? Why are there so many Christians that are inconsistent and are giving Christianity a bad name? Is it because the Bible isn't reliable? Is it because the gospel doesn't actually transform lives? You know, those are reliable questions to ask. Those are smart questions to ask. We should ask those questions. It's not just blind faith. We should act and, and search to see if the Bible really is credible or if the gospel really does change lives. And if you ask those questions and search them out, you're going to realize that, yes, the Bible is reliable. It is the word of God. Yes, the gospel does transform and change lives. But the inconsistent Christians have lost their focus. They no longer focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel doesn't affect them like it used to. In many ways, they've fallen out of love with the gospel. And again, if, if you're in that boat today, that's okay. You're not alone in that. That happens. You know, it's kind of like this. You first get saved. You first accept Christ as your Savior, and everything's new. And, man, it's awesome. A personal relationship with Christ is just the greatest thing in the world. You read your Bible, it's God talking to you. Man, you've got all of these things happening, and it's just great. All you want is church, church, more church, more of the word, more prayer. That's what you want. But then over time, it becomes mundane. It becomes ordinary. It becomes routine, and that feeling isn't there as much anymore. It doesn't mean you don't love it, but you're not focused on it. It doesn't mean it doesn't transform. You're just not focused on it anymore. And that leads to inconsistencies. No, we need to fall back in love with the gospel. We need to fall back in love with the gospel and make the gospel a priority once again. Me and my wife, we kind of struggled with this with our marriage. That's a good example of that. Me and my wife, we first got married. Life was good. Life was often awesome, and man, we had our, our, the best life and, and so much fun, and it was just great, and I loved her so much. I still love her, but man, it was just this great love that I had for this woman, and then pretty soon life happened. We got busy with kids. We got busy with work, and then pretty soon that feeling wasn't there as much as that it used to. It doesn't mean I didn't love her, but the feeling wasn't there, and, and in order to get that back, we had to make a priority to put our marriage first. We have to continue to make a priority to put our marriage first. We're doing that next week. We're actually gonna go to a Ren Collective concert and, and spend time alone. Uh, we're gonna get a hotel and, and Aaron's gonna stay with, with the grandparents and, and that's awesome and I'm excited about that, man. Bring on the romance, I'm excited. Um, <laughs> but you gotta make a priority to do that, right? And when that happens, man, you wanna know what will take place? You'll start to love your wife so much more. 
so much more than before. And you want to know something? That's a good illustration of the gospel. You may feel like you don't have that passion or, or that feeling anymore, but if you make a point to make the gospel a priority, you focus on God's love story again, you will appreciate the gospel so much. And once you do, man, once you make that point, you will be more in love and more interested in the gospel than ever before. Because the gospel is the greatest love story of all time. It is the greatest narrative in all the world, the redemptive love story of Jesus to us. And if you just think about that and ponder that and make that a priority, man, it'll change your life. It is the greatest thing in the world. Just think about it for a second, all right? The fact that Jesus Christ came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, took all of my sins and all of my debt and nailed it to a cross so I don't have to bear it anymore. Are you kidding me? Are you serious right now? This is unimaginable. This is incomprehensible. The magnitude of this unconditional love and inexhaustible grace and the generosity of God to say, just as you are, right where you are, I will love you. I will accept you. I will birth you into my family. I will adopt you as my child. I will become your father. I will become your savior. I will become your loving friend. I will walk with you through life. And I will accept you. I will work in you. I will transform your life and transform your future. And I will give you eternal life in heaven. And I will rescue you from the penalty of sin and the price of hell. Hey, all of that occurs through a relationship with Jesus Christ. All of that is found in the gospel narrative. And, and after we ponder that, how can you not fall in love with that? How can you not want other people to experience that? How can you not want that to be on your mindset 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Because the gospel isn't just salvation and that salvation moment. No, it is a continual thing. A personal relationship with Christ, all of that goes back to the gospel. Joy, you want joy in your life? That goes back to the gospel. Hope goes back to the gospel. It's letting the gospel work and live through you. Forgiveness, back to the gospel. We've got to focus on that we got to fall in love with that again. And this is what Paul is, is saying here. Coach Paul is telling us, hey, focus on the gospel. Be consistent. Focus on the love story of Jesus Christ. And when you do, this consistency will follow in your life. This continual heart for the Lord will follow in your life. And pretty soon, you're going to start taking pride in who you are. You're going to start to love who you are in Jesus Christ. And you're going to reflect that on all Jesus Christ has done for you and, and all of the things that he's blessed you with. And, and pretty soon, you're going to want to run through a wall for Jesus Christ. You're going to focus on the gospel consistently and with the right conduct. And, and that's what we're supposed to do, right? He says, focus on the gospel consistently. Focus on gospel conduct, your behavior. Live the way you should live. And then number three... He tells the church at Philippi, and he tells us that we are to focus on gospel cooperation. We as a church, we as Christians, we're to work together. We are to cooperate. We are to be united. You see, Paul was a firm believer in the phrase, teamwork makes the dream work. He was a firm believer in that. And, and, and that's what we see in the back end of verse 27. That, that's what he alludes to. Look what he says. He says, hey, focus on the gospel. Live the way Christians should live. And then he says, so that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You want to know what that verse tells us? That verse tells us if we are living 
with a gospel focus, we will be united. We will be united as Christians. We will be united as a church. We will be united as a family. And unity, man, it's so important in the Christian life. It is such an important thing to be unified. Now, unity is not unanimity, meaning we all think the same. Unity is not uniformity, meaning we all look the same. No, unity is harmony. Unity, unity is working together for a worthy cause. That's what he's getting at. We can think differently. We can even look differently. That doesn't matter. But we come together for a worthy cause, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that means everything. It's so important in the Christian life. That's what the Bible says in Psalm 133 and verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Dude, it's good and it's pleasant. It's the way to victory and it's the way to success. And Paul recognized the importance of this. He recognized the importance of cooperation and unity together. And Paul knew that this church could not overcome the problems that they're dealing with and could not be victorious to the very end if it wasn't for living in unity. They needed each other in the Christian life. They were a team. They were a church. They were a family. And to back his point up, I love what Paul does here. He gives them two sermon illustrations to back this up. Two object illustrations to get this point across. He tells them to, number one, stand like soldiers together. He tells them to stand together like soldiers of the cross. Look what he says in verse 27. He says, stand fast in one spirit. That's his instruction. Now that phrase, stand fast, is really cool. It's actually a military term. And it means to be stationary or in a fixed position. Stand fast. You're immovable. You're standing strong. And it pictures the idea of a soldier holding his position on the front lines of battle. But this is the cool part. It pictures him holding his position with somebody. He isn't alone. You see, Paul is painting a picture of a Roman soldier here. And the Roman soldiers had this process when they would go into battle. They had these big shields that were six feet tall. And they were made in such a way where they could connect together as one. And so when they would walk into battle, when they would go into battle, they would all be connected in one big line. All together, kind of like Red Rover, Red Rover. You just are come together, you're united. And he's saying, hey, that's what we need to be. We need to stand fast together. We need to work together. You want to win your battles in life, your individual battles, you need somebody. You want to be a victorious church, you need somebody. You want to be a victorious parent, hey, you need somebody. We need each other in the Christian life. And whenever I think about that, I can't help but think about the giant redwood trees of California. These giant redwood trees, they soar hundreds of feet into the air, but their roots are strong. They're deep. But the cool thing about this is the strength of a redwood's roots is actually found in other redwoods. Instead of going super deep underground, they spread sideways and intertwine with the roots of other redwood trees so they hold each other up. That's how they're able to be so strong and, and so big and, and so, in a way, successful victorious. Hey, that's God's pattern for us. God never intended his children to be isolated and alone. We need each other. We need to open up with each other. We need the local church. He says, hey, stand together like soldiers. That's the first sermon illustration he gave. But then I really like this object illustration. He also tells them to strive together like athletes. They are to strive together like athletes. Stand together Strive together. And that's how he closes verse 27. He says, 
stand fast in one spirit, stand together like a good soldier, with one mind, and then he says, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, it's interesting. That word translated striving together, used there, is actually where we get our English word athlete from or athletic. Striving together. Striving together like an athlete. Being athletic together. And this word illustrates someone competing with maximum effort in an athletic contest, such as running or wrestling. So it's the idea of you, you're, you're running a marathon, and you're just going, and, and you feel like you can't go on anymore, but, but once you feel like you can't go on anymore, you just keep on going. You don't quit. You're giving your all. You're giving all of your effort. Or wrestling. You feel like the enemy's got you pinned. You feel like you're about to tap out, but right before you tap out, you just keep on pushing. You keep on going. You don't give up. That's the illustration there of the athlete word picture in verse 27. But again, I say, we aren't supposed to do this alone. <laughs> it's not running alone. It's not wrestling alone. And again, it's so cool, man, how Paul does this. I love this. You see, throughout this letter, Paul used an interesting device to emphasize the importance of unity. You see, in the Greek language, he, they use this prefix sin or soon, which means with together. It was a phrase that he used a lot in the Bible, with together. It's kind of like our, our word co, co-pastor, co-anchor, uh, co-pilot. Kind of like that same idea there, with together, co. And he used it a lot throughout the book of Philippians. He used it 16 different times in the book of Philippians. All throughout this book, we see with together, with together, with together. You want to know what the prefix is used in that word striving in verse 27? Soon, co, with. He's saying co-athletes, with together. We are supposed to work together. We are supposed to wrestle together as athletes. We are supposed to run together like athletes. We are supposed to strive together like athletes. And we are supposed to do this for the faith of the gospel. So every single one of us, if we want to live a victorious life, if we want to live with this mindset, we work together, but we work together with one mind, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a good news mindset, focusing on the gospel. And I think that's so cool. And I, I, I got to say, man, I'm so happy we have a church like that. We're a team. We work together. And understand this now, we're all equal. It doesn't say one is higher than the other. It's co-athletes, right? We are all co's in this world. We all are a different position. We all have a different team, but we're all of equal importance. And successful churches recognize that, and they work together. And I don't care how great a pastor is or how great a church member is. If you're a ball hog, your church is not going to be successful. I know a lot of ball hog church members, not here, and I know a lot of ball hog pastors in this world. But man, successful churches, we work together, we strive together, we stand together. So for us to be victorious as a church, and for us to be victorious in this Christian life, we are to focus on gospel conduct, we are to focus on gospel consistency, and we are to focus on gospel cooperation. And if we do, if we follow those three keys to a gospel-focused life, you want to know what we'll experience? We'll experience number four, a gospel conduct. We'll be confident in what God has for us. We will be confident in being victorious. And that's what Paul says here in verses 27 and 28. 
So look at his instructions in verse 27. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He's motivating this church. He's trying to reach this church. But then he ends with confidence and hope. Look what he says in verse 28. He says, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. He's saying, if you do this, if you live with the gospel focus, you're not going to be scared. You're not going to be fearful. No, you're going to press on. You're going to be excited. You're going to go on for the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. He says, you'll be fearless. You'll be courageous. You'll be brave, right? And nothing terrified. Now, this is really cool. I know I've used the Greek a lot today. But if you look up that word terrified in the Greek, I love this. It's the only time terrified is mentioned in the Greek word in this verse or in this Bible. And you want to know what it means? It means a battle-shy horse or a stampede of horses running away because they're fearful of battle. They're scared. The thought of it scares them, so they back away. They run away. They're uncontrollable. They're unable to go on. They're unable to be successful or be a benefit or be a help. That's the idea there. But he says if you're focusing on the gospel, you won't be terrified. You'll be courageous. You'll be fearless. You'll go on for God. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, if you are living with the gospel focus, you'll be ready for battle. You're going through difficulties. You're going through trials. You're going through persecution in your life. Well, hey, I am too, but I've got this gospel focus, and I'm saying, church at Philippi, hey, let me at them. Bring it on. He's saying you're going to have that mentality. Let me at them. Bring it on. If it means the furtherance of the gospel, if it means a successful life, if it means that life of love, that life of joy, that life of peace, I say bring it on. Bring it on. I'll go through the hardships for the glory of the gospel. I will glory in tribulations also. I will count it all joy when trials come my way. It's like a football player after a motivational speech at halftime saying, hey, let me at him. Let's go. And that's Paul's locker room speech. That's what he says to this church. Now, I know Paul was on house arrest at this time, and I know he was over 800 miles away when he wrote this epistle. But when the church at Philippi received that letter from the Apostle Paul, and they got together and they gathered around as a church and opened up and heard the words of Paul, to them, it was like the Apostle Paul was getting a stool and standing right there with them, looking at the church that he loved, looking at the church that he cared about. And when he opened up his words, it was the most passionate, zealous, and inspiring thing they could ever hear. And they wound up leaving with a gospel focus and a gospel confidence. And the same thing applies to us today. Hey, we can live with a gospel confidence, but it takes having a gospel focus. You can live a life of victory. Focus on the good news. God's got so much good news for you. So much good news for you that he wrote an entire book on it. And he wants you to live a victorious life. So think about that today. Think about the good news and think about a personal relationship with Christ.